today on Ag News Daily. We started with the drag with the uh, tanker route, and uh, I have a university tanker, about a, a little over a 5,000 gallon tanker, and we modified it so that the wheels would be narrow enough to travel down through the corn rows. Listeners, welcome to the Thursday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, March 23rd, 2323. That uh, is definitely a repeatable date, Delaney. It seems like it should be a lucky date. It should. Three, two, three, two, three. I wonder if that's uh, some rarity. I'm sure that happens each year, at least one of the days, I would assume. But anyways, listeners, welcome back to the podcast. We're ready to bring you some of the latest headlines today. Delaney, you got big news for us today? Well, I think a big headline I saw this morning was that Brazil and China have come to terms and China has officially agreed to resume imports of some Brazilian beef from Brazil. China said on Thursday it had agreed to immediately resume imports of Brazilian beef aged under 30 months, according to a statement released by their China's by the general admission or excuse me, the general administration of customs. The resuming of imports here comes a day after the Brazilian agriculture minister, Carlos Favero, arrived in Beijing ahead of a visit by Brazilian President Lula on Sunday. So it sounds like they have had lots of dignitaries in China try to repair relationships there with China. And one thing we saw happen was to get Brazilian beef back on the table. Yeah, that, I saw that one as well. I'm glad that you shared that. Also, our listeners are probably already well aware that the Federal Reserve raised their interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point yesterday on Wednesday. They indicated that it was on the verge of pausing further increases in borrowing costs after the recent collapse of two U.S. banks. But then counteracting themselves out of their minutes, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that he was in his interview here to reassure investors that the bank, the soundness in the banking system is still there. The management of Silicon Valley Bank failed badly and that that bank's collapse did not indicate a wider weakness in the banking system. Of course, Delaney, that's something that uh, somebody would certainly want to say over an open mic. They stated here that these are not weaknesses running broadly throughout our system. We are also seeing the takeover of Credit Suisse as a positive outcome. The Federal Open Market Committee policy statement stated that banks are sound and resilient, even though Wall Street ended sharply lower after Powell's comments yesterday. So we'll continue to watch and see if this move helps them fight inflation, which is their number one target, but not cause any issues to pr- produce more bank failures. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But rates did go up a quarter of a percent yesterday. So if you've got an operating note or a variable rate line of credit, your line also probably did too. Yes. And we also got news that the Fed's dot plot graphic reflected expectations of at least one more rate hike this year, Tanner, followed by up to three reductions in 2024 is what they're suggesting there. So they're saying things are going to come back down next year. Of course, that could always change, but that's kind of the outlook as of right now. Yeah, that that plays into the the rhetoric of a soft landing to where uh, we may have economic stress towards the end of 2023, but the soft landing portion means there would be immediate easing to help those in trouble out. 
It certainly does. But switching tracks here just a little bit. Midwest farmers are intending to plant more corn and wheat for the 23 growing season. We're starting to get some preliminary numbers out ahead of next week's official acreage report. Tanner, agmarket.net sent their numbers out this morning and are pegging the 23 growing season to be a total of 91.35 million acres of corn, 87.9 million acres of soybeans, and 49.12 acres of wheat. But farmers across the Midwest have been surveyed and in another survey by Ag- by Successful Farming, they surveyed 400 farmers that said they would dedicate 27% more acres to corn and 32% acres more to wheat this year with a smaller percentage saying that they were going to increase their soybean acres, which is in line with what the USDA projected at their annual agricultural outlook forum when they suggested corn plantings were gonna be around 91 million acres and um, soybeans were going to be around 87 and a half million acres, Tanner. So we'll continue to watch some of those estimates as they come out ahead of next week's major report. Yeah, it's always interesting when they state a percentage of more acres in each one of those categories as in, as our growers are trying to figure out where as our growers are trying to figure out where those acres are coming from. Uh, we continue to watch headlines here. The final documentation, a joint release from both Putin and Xi after their two-day summit has now been made public. And it didn't have a significant amount of exciting news in it. Sounds like this escapade was more of pomp and circumstance. Uh, Looks like Putin was hoping for more to come out of China in aid for Russia towards its war on Ukraine in the form of maybe army or military or modern working weapons. Uh, but that was not part of anything that came about this. The highlighting factor of the document released is that there would be a resumption of peace talks and that they also have a shared, not favorable opinion of the United States policy, stating that they provocatively are working to encircle all of its enemies by providing support including those in opposition of Russia and China. They look to have continued to tie knots in certain ways between their governments. Again, nothing was stated about expanding a military relationship, but they stated over and over again, they quote, forge a closer partnership for energy, civilian aviation, car manufacturing, metallurgy, and port traffic capacity, capacity, as well as sea cargo and agriculture. That was the main focus of their meeting. It does not look like there is an additional Chinese agenda for the Ukrainian issue. Does not stand by, nor did they add fuel to the fire. Looks like they are continuing to support peace talks between the two nations. So it didn't look like a lot of fireworks coming out of that meeting, Delaney. No, but Tanner, one thing that's certainly to have fireworks is some new legislation that was passed in the Iowa House that would restrict eminent domain for pipelines. This legislation was approved in the Iowa House on Wednesday and is headed to the Senate, although its journey there is unclear. The legislation would require pipeline companies to obtain voluntary easements for 90% of their routes before they could use eminent domain for the other remaining 10%. Summit Carbon Solutions said that their uh, total land 
easements so far, voluntary easements are totaling 70% of their route in the state of Iowa. So they're well on their way to that mark. But like I said, it's quite unclear what the future of this bill is going to be in the Iowa Senate uh, might face a little more turbulence getting past there, but uh, just another piece in the pipeline puzzle today, Tanner. Yeah, I think we'll continue to hear news on that for quite a while. For the second time in the last four months, though, the FDA has cleared cell cultural chicken, cell cultured chicken as safe to eat on Wednesday. It was an important step for that industry to bring the food grown in fermentation vats rather than from livestock closer to retail market shelves. It's a food system transformation in action, says Bruce Friedrich of the Good Food Institute, which is obviously promoting these alternative proteins. He states the cell cultured meat, like plant-based products now on the market already, are animal cruelty-free and environmentally preferable alternatives to massive livestock farms and slaughterhouses. The meat industry derides its rivals as fake meat, but the arrival date for the self-culture meats in restaurants and stores is still unclear, Delaney. The meat is expensive in the current process. This, though, however, is a landmark decision coming from the FDA that is cultivating the clearance now in potentially two countries. First is the United States and Singapore. Josh Tietrich, the chief executive of Eat Just from Singapore, approved the cell culture chicken also made by the Good Meat, which is a division of Eat Just. The FDA said in its letter to Good Meat that we have no further questions about the company's documentation of the cell culture chicken, stated that it was as safe as comparable foods the first company to get the FDA green light for cell culture meat was Upside Foods, which also makes chicken, and that was done last November. So, so far now, two times, Delaney, the FDA has seen this as an example that is considered safe for consumption. Yeah, I don't think I'll be trying that anytime soon, but like you said, there, it's also extremely expensive. I don't know how expensive it is compared to regular meat, but normal people cannot afford it. Yeah, that's what it appears. Well, Tanner, I have just one final piece of news here, and that's another piece in the puzzle here of the WOTUS story. I feel like we need to have a WOTUS-focused episode at this point to keep every little detail straight because there are so many moving pieces right now. But we heard earlier this week that WOTUS rules took a, that took effect on March 20th were um, denied in Texas and Idaho. And now, over the objection of EPA attorneys, a federal judge on Wednesday granted agricultural groups motion to intervene in an ongoing lawsuit filed by 24 states challenging the Biden administration's waters of the U.S. As we, as I mentioned earlier, the district court for the Southern District of Texas granted a preliminary injunction for Texas and Idaho while denying a motion to intervene and a motion for national injunction. But this latest move today, the federal judge in North Dakota was much more lenient in granting ag groups motion to intervene. And that sounds like that is the next step here, Tanner, although I don't fully understand what that means when they say they can intervene. Yeah, it's uh, written to a point in which I don't think much of us get clarity out of that. Last piece I've got today is just two headlines, one related to ethanol, other to weather. Ethanol production plunged, dropping below an average of a million barrels per day for the week for the first time in more than two months. Output was 997,000 barrels per day. Ethanol stockpiles also fell for the first time in three weeks to 26.18 million, down from 26.3 
1.4 million flood watches are continuing to be issued for a large stretch of Oklahoma and southern Ohio. So quite a vast array of territory there. Excessive rain that is falling in southern Missouri may lead to flooding in those areas as the risks of running water could go through late into tomorrow evening. Two to four inches of more rain is expected in that area. This widespread rainfall could create issues. Southern Indiana and Ohio are already under flash flood warnings, and those will continue to move forward as well. We talked a little bit this morning about uh, the weather in the state of Iowa. We got a little snow in the northern portion. Our friends up in North Dakota are still digging themselves out. But that's the last I've got for today. How did markets shape up? Well, here at the midday, markets are trending lower. May corn down about two pennies at 631. New crop corn down three and three quarter cents at 550 and three quarters. In the May soybean contract, down 24 and a half cents here at the midday at 1424. New crop soybeans down 16 and three quarter cents at 1255 and three quarters. Hard red May winter wheat is the only Grain market pushing higher here this morning, up seven and a quarter cent at eight eighteen and a quarter. And as we check over to look at livestock and where they're trading here at the midday, April live cattle are down thirty cents at a buck sixty-two. April feeder cattle up forty-two and a half cents at a dollar ninety-four eighty. And April lean hogs down seven and a half cents at seventy-six oh five. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to a conversation you had earlier this week with Glenn Arnold. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. We're covering a dirty topic today, one that I think, though, is going to be intriguing. It is our pleasure to have Glenn Arnold here, one of the professors from Ohio State University and a specialist within the extension side of that. How are you doing today, Glenn? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me aboard. So I might have not given the topic justice by calling it a dirty topic, but it is one I think that's going to bring our listeners great value. First, start off, let's introduce who you are and how you got to the position that you're in. Go ahead, Glenn. Well, I'm Glenn Arnold. I'm a professor at Ohio State. Um, I started uh, many years ago. I started my career as a county extension educator in Northwest Ohio. And as a county extension educator, you work with just a, a wide, wide variety of things. One of the things we eventually began to work with about 10 years onto the job was manure. Uh, to conduct research plots with manure, we started with um, placing manure on top wheat and uh, found out we got really good yields. And then we moved from uh, placing manure on top wheat to trying to use manure with corn. Oh, there you go. So that's the basis of the conversation today. And now you've got quite a few years of results coming from the work that you've done. Uh, we obviously reached out because of an article that we had seen published lately, but why don't you give our listeners a little bit of insight into the work you've been doing? Well, what we, uh, what we work at is we try to take liquid manure from dairy ponds or from uh, swine manure pits 
and uh, liquid manure primarily on our larger farms is transported through drag hose systems to fields. So what we do with this manure is we simply modify a uh, rolling colder manure applicator, and then we can drag liquid manure down through corn, and we can side dress that corn with the liquid manure, and we can replace 100% of the purchased side dressed nitrogen fertilizer that farmers typically use. So for example, in the swine industry, if we use the swine finishing manure example, we can uh, take about 6,500 gallons per acre of manure. We can incorporate it down through the rows. And uh, farmers uh, who have done that for many years, do side-by-sides with uh, commercial fertilizer, will tell you that you'll always get at least as good as the commercial fertilizer, or if not, maybe 10 to, to uh, 15 bushels better per acre. And that's intriguing to me. I grew up on a, a hog farm myself and know that the manure in liquid state weighs so much. So it's interesting that you chose the dragline route rather than a tank or a side dress rig that carries the liquid with it. Well, we started with the drag with the uh, tanker route, and uh, I have a university tanker, about a a little over five thousand gallon tanker, and we modified it so that the wheels would be narrow enough to travel down through the corn rows. And we still use that today. I've had that tanker now for a better part of seven or eight years, and it allows us to. Uh, to uh, do the same type of thing. And on small scales, small fields, uh, certain situations where the corn is taller, a manure tanker can still work quite well. It's just very heavy. So we have a lot of clay in our soils. I I don't like putting heavy weight on uh, clay soils in the spring unless they're extremely dry. So that's why we also looked at using the drag hose system um, simply, simply because of a more efficient way of putting manure on and for um, less potential for soil compaction. Yeah, so the, the drag line is, like I said, intriguing to me because uh, having experience to that and describing it to the listeners, that hose has to follow the unit through the field, correct? And then when the unit goes to turn around, how do you move the hose amongst the rows? Well, again, going back to history, if we went back to the first time we started doing the drag hose plots, we go probably going on back almost 10 years now. When we first started them, we just drug the hose right over top of the corn. And we had done some small plot research and we knew that uh, through the V4 stage of corn, that's four true leaves. So that'd be a height of about six, seven inches. Through the V4 stage, you can drag a drag hose across the cornfield and inject that manure in and the field and the yield and everything will just be fine. It'll look pretty sick for a day or so, but the farmers who do that and still do that today, uh, do it pretty routinely. We just, uh, a farmer that uh, did that last cropping season, uh, he had 233 bushels as his field average for a field of 70, 70 acres. And he was very, very happy with it. And he knew it was gonna be good because he'd done this for a number of years he knew not to get too excited about the smashing of the corn plants and those types of things. So farm, some farmers plant their fields with uh, a 45 degree angle. So that makes that drag hose work very easily for a single applicator to do the entire field. Others have um, planted their fields normally and they'll use the drag hose to uh, um, be anchored on one end or, or anchored in the middle and then they'll do their manure application that way. And that's, those have both been pretty successful. And we'll be doing both of those in the next few weeks here in Northwest Ohio with various farmers. 
And I'd say the third thing or the third way that we're looking at now that's uh, rather unique, Cadman has built a nice system, and that will allow you to do regularly planted corn. And uh, essentially, the hose will follow you down the field when you turn on the far end to come back. Uh, the stinger or the uh, arm of that unit will reach out and allow you to keep that hose in that same row that it came down. So it's a rather unique system, the Cadman. I'm sure anybody could Google it and come up with some some videos. We use it a little bit um, in meetings and things, and then Cadman loaned us a unit to work with this year. So we hope to have you know more than 10 uh, plots in Northwest Ohio with farmers using this new Cadman system. That's exciting because, like I said, I was trying to wrap my head around it, and I'm sure our listeners are doing the exact same thing. So that's one of the new things that you'll be practicing this year. What else are you excited to try to try and continue to boost your results? Well, we did. Um, we started a research plot a couple of years ago where we're knifing some manure in in the fall. Fall has always been our traditional big window of manure application, especially as wheat acreage has shrank in the state of Ohio, more manure movement, manure applications have been moved to fall. So we, we began some, some strip-till manure where we would strip the manure in in the fall and then plant directly on that in the spring. We wanted to find out if that existing um, manure that was in the ground would interfere at all with germination and emergence of corn the following spring. And boy, the yield results have been pretty, pretty neat. Um, it has not interfered with germination and emergence and seems to really give the corn a get up and go kick first thing in the spring. So we do need to do a lot more research with that, but it's a pretty exciting area that we, uh, we also want to continue with along with some of our H2O work and some other projects that we have going on. Yeah, that's that's really intriguing. For our listeners that don't know what your H2O work is, expand on that. Well, the H2O program is basically uh, an opportunity for farmers to get paid to use their manure more wisely. And, uh, for example, regardless of what you traditionally have done, uh, there are opportunities. If your soil is in a proper maintenance level for P205 additions, it's possible to get paid to incorporate um, manure applied. And it's also uh, possible to get paid to... Uh, uh, to incorporate manure into growing crops such as corn and wheat, things like that. So, so it's just uh, farmers can use that, and and if if uh, they need to move manure greater distances, these funds could be used to offset some of the transportation costs for manure and things. So it's just a it's kind of a, a method to try to get more people to look at incorporation of manure nutrients because the further we can uh, place them in the soil, you know, the better the opportunity for uh, them to stay there, not not be uh, escaping with heavy rains and not be escaping with uh, wind blowing erosion, those types of things. That's exciting. And I, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time doing this. If our listeners want to follow along with the project and research that you guys do, what's the best way for them to keep in touch with you? Probably to follow our university Facebook page. I try to post a lot of stuff on our Facebook page. I don't really have a really good uh, docking place where a person can come and, and uh, keep updated. But we have an Ohio State Extension uh, Nutrient Manure Management webpage that we think would uh, be a good place for people to come. And then uh, that has my phone number and email on that site. So if they need to reach out to me, they certainly can use that. 
Hey, this has again been a pleasure of uh, having the insight and for you answering the questions that I had around the logistics for this project. Congrats on getting some really good results. And thanks again for hanging out with us. Oh, glad to be here. I think that uh, farmers who have, have worked with this are pretty excited about it. We've got several dozen in, across Northwest Ohio, and I think you'll uh, you'll see them as uh, as long lifelong commitments on or committers on using manure in this fashion. Absolutely. Thanks again. And you could tell I was almost like a kid in a candy store trying to get to the bottom of the physical properties of completing that task. It's nice to see universities are continuing to put agriculture as a focus and hopefully developing ways that our listeners can be more efficient without spending more money. Absolutely, Tanner. And I know we're going to have another great conversation tomorrow pushing things international. So that's all I'll say for now. But in the meantime, folks can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Well, let's let them go.